Uh, Fred wants this 13-year-old corn whiskey. I've got a couple of bottles of the sample retain, but this blend of Little Book, each year it's an annual release, so each release is a totally different blend. Uh, for the second one, none of these liquids are in it, and for this first one, actually, I used up all of that 13-year-old corn whiskey, so this particular uh, blend will not be able to be created for 13 years. Hey everyone, welcome back to another brand new episode of Bourbon Pursuit. But first, as usual, we've got some news to run through. We've been talking about it for a while. We've got Bourbon and Beyond coming up. The bands are announced. Robert Plant, Lenny Kravitz, Cheryl Crow, Bourbon Pursuit, Larry Rice from Silver Dollar, Blake from Bourboner, Brian from Sippin' Cord. We're all going to be there. Make sure you go to bourbonandbeyond.com. Go get your tickets. See what packages are still available. They're starting to run out, right? I mean, like tickets are going on sale pretty fast. Um, we're going to be leading two of the workshops there. So make sure you come and you can hang out with us. We're also going to be doing a giveaway here in the upcoming months for not only just GA tickets. We got that giveaway, but we also got a tickets for the Mint VIP package. So we'll be doing a giveaway through there, through there as well. You know, we're big timing now. We've got opportunity to be able to do awesome VIP ticket giveaways. So if you want to and get your tickets now before you have a chance, before they run out, go to bourbonpursuit.com. There is a link on our website that's an affiliate link. We get no kickbacks, but just do there. And so they can actually say like, hey, these guys are actually bringing some actual value to this, this concert series, right? So please go through there and buy your tickets through our affiliate link. Patreon shipments for April are out the door. If you didn't catch it, go to Facebook or YouTube and you can see the drawing, what we were giving away and who won as well. This past week, we also had our first Hangout with Pursuit for Patreon supporters. It's an opportunity for Patreon supporters to join the Hangout, and we'll talk about some of the information that's happening behind the scenes. You can ask questions that you want to ask, but we also had that opportunity to reveal some news. Uh, and if you're paying attention to us on Facebook this week, we also revealed some exciting news that the next private barrel selection that is becoming from Bourbon Pursuit is a six-year... Green foil has a family crest on it. Have you guessed it yet? Do you know what it is? It is a Willet Rye barrel. Yes, we were able to secure a six year private barrel for Bourbon Pursuit, and that will be coming for only Patreon supporters. So if you want to get in the drawing, make sure you go to patreon.com slash Bourbon Pursuit, sign up, and that's how you get access to it. You know, this episode, Fred No is not new to the show. We've had the pleasure of having him on before, but this is a first time for Freddie. And as usual, you get to hear fantastic stories that are really centered around family as the main focus and the theme of this year's Legend series that's hosted and emceed by Fred Minnick. As usual, please help support this show. That's how this show continues to go. Go to patreon.com slash Pursuit. We've got bottle totes, patches, t-shirts, and of course, awesome barrel picks happening, right? Make sure you're also supporting us by subscribing on Facebook, uh, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you get 
uh, our podcast. Make sure you keep subscribing there. Follow us on social media. See what we're drinking. Interact with us. Talk to us through there. We always love hearing from our fans. Um, you know, tag us on Instagram, whatever it is. I swear we're going to like you in return. So make sure you go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us there. If you want every new episode, beam straight to your inbox and you have an idea of reading the show notes and clicking on them and seeing where to go to, go to burntpursuit.com, scroll down a little bit, go to the uh, email button, sign up for our newsletter, and you're going to get those in your inbox every single Thursday morning when the new episodes are cut and published. With that, enjoy this week's episode. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming out to the Kentucky Derby Museum for the Legends Series. Uh, first of all, let me start out. Um, my name is not Fred, but everybody on stage here is named Fred, so I'll be the only one that's not. Uh, <laughs> my name is Pat Armstrong. I'm the president here at Kentucky Derby Museum. And uh, just a couple of announcements. First of all, I'd, I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for the Legend Series. Uh, the good folks from Commonwealth Bank and Trust Company. So please give them a round of applause. This is the first year that Commonwealth has sponsored the Legends Series, and we're very pleased to have them on board and uh, appreciate you being here this evening. So um, we are waiting just on a few people, but we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I want to introduce and turn this over to Fred Minnick. Fred is our uh, official bourbon authority here at the Kentucky Dairy Museum and has been with us to um, work on the Legends series for several years. And uh, with that, let me just turn it over to you, Fred, and 
thank you for being here. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much. I must apologize. You may hear my voice. We talked a little bit earlier. I've been doing a lot of uh, events throughout the country in the past week, and uh, the, they've gotten a little bit of the better of me. My voice is uh, it's a, it's a little it's a little deeper today. But fortunately, I have Beth Burroughs cocktail here, which seems to be a really good remedy for for the voice. And who here liked that cocktail? Isn't that wasn't that some? Beth Burrow, raise your hand. Stand up for us, Beth. Stand up. She is talented. It's Jim Beam's um, uh, brand ambassador and master mixologist. She's, she's pretty awesome. So tonight is about, or actually the Legend Series this year is about honoring families. In the past, we've honored individuals. This year, it's about family. And there's not a bigger family in bourbon than Beam. And in fact, in one of my books, I said we, could, we probably could have named Bourbon Beam and nobody could have blinked an eye about it. <laughs> I don't know about that, Fred. Yeah, I'm telling you, the Beams have been, I mean, how, so every major distillery seems to have had a Beam in its lifeline. You know, at some point there was a Beam. You well, all are pretty good at procreating. That's for sure. <laughs> That's I mean, what we do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we make bourbon, that's about it, you know. You don't see any beams running any banks or nothing. No. <laughs> you know, we make bourbon. But if know? they did it, they'd be at Commonwealth Bank, right? <laughs> Probably. Right. Here in Kentucky for damn sure. That's right. Anywhere else. <laughs> the first thing I got to do is I got to compliment these boots. I'm just, I'm just kind of here sipping on a, on a little bit of a whiskey, and I see these big, uh, beaming, red you know, embossed uh, Jim Beam and uh, the embroidery right there. Right. My God, those look awesome. Can you kick, show them up to everybody if they can't see them? Really? I mean, that's a, that's a branded boot. Well, we uh, might as well tell the story. Everything we do seems like there's a story behind it. We sponsored a country music band I know a lot of people are familiar with, Montgomery Gentry. Uh, Troy and Eddie, they said we wanted Jim Beam boots. So one of our regional vice presidents, Tony Pence, I said, if you guys find somebody who'll make Jim Beam boots, we'll get some Jim Beam boots. And they don't tell two country music singers, if you find somebody to make boots, we'll get them made. So we, uh, they got them made, and I was lucky enough to be at the, at the uh, sizing they did in Nashville at a rehearsal hall. They were rehearsing for a tour, and I was having to be there, and a guy, Bo Riddle, came in, measured our feet, made the boots, and uh, shipped them to us in the mail. But we were trying to figure out when it was. It was probably... Almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, it's pretty close. It was funny. We didn't know much about boots. Those boots are 20 years old. Yeah. Damn. They, uh, we didn't know much about them. And, you know, everybody gets snake or ostrich or whatever. We said, well, what should we get them made out of? He said, well, you think about it. A bird, their, their uh, skin has got oil in it. You get ostrich boots, they'll last a lifetime. You can keep putting soles. If you get a snake or a... Or, or alligator, they'll crack over time. So we got ostrich. We wanted to get a whole boot made in ostrich. He said, you don't do that. And he, what do you mean? Is you play poker with a guy with whole ostrich boots, don't call his bluff because he's got too much money. That's a bootlegger telling us that. I mean, the bootmaker. So I said, hmm. So he just made the bottom part with ostrich and the top part with leather. So we, I didn't know anything about cowboy boots. I never had any cowboy boots. And he told me why, because I broke my ankle playing football in high school, and one ankle's bigger than the other. 
But he knew that. He said, you don't have any boots, do you? I said, no. He said, I know why. One ankle's bigger than the other. So these are made to fit my foot. So it was kind of cool. It's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're great. I mean, so Eddie Montgomery's are just like the same as mine. Slippers. These boots are almost as old like, as you. What are you, 26 now? 30. 30. Close. He's, he's gotten a few years. So you were they're 10 like years old when these. slippers, though. They only fit him. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, put our, it's funny. The bootmaker put our initials on the little strap where you pull them up. He said, in case we drink too much Jim Beam and throw our boots in a pile, we'll know whose boots are whose. That's, that's important. That's, <laughs> oh, I mean, because I mean, everywhere I go, I, I'm, I'm wondering, right. like, am I going to come home with my shoes? Right. You know, that's a... <laughs> I don't take his shoes off, because you take his boots off, somebody will steal them, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. But like Eddie, that, Eddie Montgomery's are just the opposite of mine. His are red. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed Eddie wears red boots when he's on stage? His are just like this, but... Uh, I had. I said I don't need red boots. I think black boots would be better. So I reversed the colors on his. So mine and his are just the same, but the opposite. Nice. But it's. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun with him. He still wears them Jim Beam boots too on stage, every night. Nice. And Freddie, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, glad to be here. I was afraid that after your Esquire featured you, that you know you. <laughs> he never you know, let me live that one down. Hollywood you? would be calling you or something. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So what's that like, uh, you know, seeing yourself in, in Esquire? You know, it's, it, it's pretty cool. It's just cool, you know, to be able to, to spend some time with Rob and, and Bruce, too, you know. I just had recently met Bruce back in, what, October or something uh, like that? Yeah, October, yeah. You know, every time I'm around Eddie, he said, I got to introduce you to my son. I got to introduce you to my son. And he says the same thing to Bruce. And so we finally got together. And that was really, that's the longest we've ever spent just kind of hanging out was that. So it was really cool to... Spend an afternoon with uh, Bruce and Rob. He's talking about uh, Bruce Russell, Eddie Russell's son from Wild Turkey. And when they got together, me and Eddie, which <laughs> said, we got to keep them apart. They're too much like their fathers, and we know what we did when we were their age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we might be in trouble when those two get out on the street. You know, there's a lot of stories about me and Eddie hanging out. I mean, everybody in this bourbon industry, we're buddies. We really are. And when they see like Eddie Russell and myself together, or, or any of us. We do have a lot of fun hanging out. And when we see Bruce and Freddie, it's just like we're watching the next generation doing the same thing. And, and it might take it a little another farther than we did, and that could be trouble. You know. Speaking of uh, you know, generations, you all just filled your 15th million barrel. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Monday, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool, yeah. I mean, it's, we fill them because Folks like her here are drinking our stuff. I mean, we don't have the demand and we don't need to fill barrels, but it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, the demand curve for bourbon, to kind of give you perspective, when Prohibition ended, the family started making bourbon again. It took them 30 years to fill the, a million barrels after Prohibition. It took us a little shy of two years. Right? Yeah, no, it was just a little bit. Yeah, it was just shy of right two years. Almost two years to fill one barrel, one million now. But I mean, back in the old days, they didn't have the equipment we have and didn't only had one distillery. And there was a lot of things that played into that, but the demand curve for bourbon is way stronger now than it was in the 30s right after Prohibition. And at, the, at the pace we're at now, we'll fill 16 million before next Christmas, so even faster than this one. Wow. What's it like for you to have that opportunity to fill that barrel with your son? Oh, it's, it was, that made it special for me. I mean. Watching Freddie grow up and then coming into the business 
like he has in the last couple of years and working with him. You know, I kind of can see what Booker, you know, when I came into the business, they put me in a bowling line. And, but then after I started doing the promotional work with him, you know, he got a little more, uh, I guess you'd say, choked up at times when he talked. Because I guess you can see the future. And I mean, I see the same thing with Freddie. It's, you know, it's kind of wild. To, you, you dream of that kind of stuff that your, your son will follow in your footsteps and really take a hold of the bit and go run with it. I mean, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of fathers uh, wished their sons would do what they wanted them to do. And I mean, he's done exactly what I've asked him. He hadn't been in a lot of trouble. I mean, he hadn't caused me any grief. Hold on now, wait, he hasn't gotten in much trouble. Are you no, sure? Said, he, he hasn't caused me a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, okay. I ain't gonna say he hadn't been in any trouble, but so I mean. It doesn't sound like Freddie <laughs> or yours, you know. Or no, we had our moments. I mean, me and Booker, we had our moments too, you know. Fathers and sons that are alike clash a lot till you finally get to a point where you can tolerate each other, you know? I'm sure there's a lot of fathers and sons in here that know what I'm talking about, Fred. You probably do too, you're just trying to, you're the moderator, you gotta stir up shit, I know. <laughs> I would never stir up shit. <laughs> yeah, you would, yeah, yeah you would. <laughs> Freddie, what is, what's your title uh, right now? My current title is eighth generation distiller. Some people throw the master in there, but I quickly. Now, what, when you were 30, what title did they give you, Fred? 30? Bourbon ambassador, maybe. I was bottling line supervisor, then label room supervisor, then receiving supervisor, and then I think ambassador when they put me on the road. Do Bourbon you, ambassador. Do you think Freddie's gotten a little better treatment than you did when you were coming up the ranks? All right, <laughs> next question. <laughs> no, I'll just say he had a better agent than I had. I'll, yeah. I'll you know, Booker, you know, fathers you know, tend to be hard on their sons. His dad was no exception, but Freddie, he was in a unique situation. Our CEO of Beam Suntory, Matt Shadow, is a great guy. I mean, super nice guy. And he, saw, he saw something in Freddie before anybody else at our company did. And we were at an event up at, the, at our distillery there one night. And he said, you know, Freddie, following in yours and your father's footsteps is not gonna be easy. Would you mind if I was his mentor and brought him into the business? I looked at Matt and I said, Matt, he's yours. And they went off and had a little conversation. And to be honest, the light, I guess, came on. You know, somebody different than your father giving you shit about not getting good grades and not doing what you ought to be doing. I mean, he turned out president's list in college. Uh, you know, that was one thing. Booker had one rule for me to finish college before he let me come to work. Dad went off to UK to play football for Bear Bryant back in 1949. But his uh, social skills were stronger than his scholastic skills, I guess. And it didn't really pan out too well. And so he didn't finish college. And for me, always growing up, if you want to come to work at Jim Beam, you got to finish college. And he held that carrot out there and after eight years, and a lot of Booker's money, I finally got out of college. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I had a good ride. I mean, it was, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Dad always told me college is gonna be the most fun time of your life. He was absolutely right. That was one piece of advice he gave me that was dead on for the a fact. Now, Freddie did a little better than me. He got out in six years and one semester. So. Yep, you got so now I know, now that you tell that story, uh, I, that's a great segue to Jim being black because I now know why you all were aging it eight years. 
for a long time. <laughs> because That's a good story. That's a good one. I remember that one, Fred. <laughs> Le- Le- tell us a little bit about being black here. Being black, you know, we, uh, it's been, it evolved from a product Booker and them developed back in the 70s called Beam's Black Label. And it was extra age, higher proof, than our Jim Beam White Label. Jim Beam White is aged four years, bottled 80 proof. Black has always been extra aged and bottled at a higher proof. This one is uh, 86 proof, uh, and it's a, it's a seven-year taste profile. You know, and it's just to give it a little more of the wood from the influence of the white oak barrels and more flavor. That's where the whole, whole thing comes from. Yeah, Jim Beam Black's definitely one if you come to the house that all of us in the family tend to, tend to lean towards more than some of the other products. You know, we, we all enjoy it. Uh, we like them in cocktail. We like it in cocktails, and you know it's just it's good. I I like to call it you know kind of like a gateway bourbon. It's kind of one of the things I've said before, because uh, when I I started drinking Jim Beam Black with Sprite on ice, and then removed the Sprite, and then that's kind of how I segued into 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 higher strength bourbons. Was Jim I just assume that you were born and had like bourbon in your <laughs> bottle? <laughs> Maybe no, I did. No, 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 Fred. <laughs> you trying to get me arrested? Child abuse? What's wouldn't, wrong with you? Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> now, You're probably right there. We don't go there either. Now, Freddie, this, you know, back, maybe actually probably before your time, this great product used to have a, an eight on there, and that stood for the age. It was, a, yep. it was, a, it was an age-stated eight-year-old, um, and Jim Bean Black was one of the very first to Peel away that age statement, and and that was that was the beginning of heartbreak for me for 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 bourbon because that was like I mean Fred I don't think we were the first one to peel away the age. no well, no you weren't the first first, okay. first yeah. to correct you before eight year it was 101 months All right back in the, the late 70s well listen I wasn't here in the late 70s drinking no, I bourbon either. I was you know I so. wasn't either. That, I was though. Yeah. <laughs> that eight-year-old, that eight-year-old profile was nice, and I'm, a lot, a lot of people out there still like seeing age statements. Now you're, now right. you're getting a little some some influence and in beam. Are you gonna start pushing for some age statements? Some, so you know, I think I think on some products it it's definitely uh, value added. On others, you know, it just because of an age statement, you know, that liquid has to be eight years old. Right. Versus where now, if we we blend to a uh, to a profile, a taste profile, we can use some eight, nine, six, five year old stuff to make that profile that we're looking for take some constraints off our warehouse. Because as you know, this bourbon boom is it is what it is. It's a boom, and yep. and no one was really prepared for it. So it just gives us a little more flexibility. To try to hit the same profile and now Booker's every everyone will have like. A- Almost an exact like age. It'll be like six months. And well, that, well, that's because the youngest barrel in a batch of bourbon is the age of the entire batch. So we take the age of the youngest barrel in the batch of Booker's. That's the age of the entire batch. So I mean, for example, if you took ten, uh, a thousand barrels of ten-year-old, but one barrel of four-year-old in there, all of that whiskey becomes four years old yep. because the age of that youngest barrel. So that's that's why age statements tie your hands quite a bit. You can Do you think they tie your hands on a quality perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because sometimes you can blend with some younger and older and hit a more consistent flavor. 
mm-hmm. because we're the barrel store in the rack house. You know, a lot of times when you say it's eight years old, you got to be older than that. Then you end up getting stuff that's maybe 11, 12, and it'll bring more to it. Then you're trying to get it back to that nice, even, consistent flavor, and it gets a little tougher. I think, you know, when we, when we talk about this, this kind of, um, I think consumers really like seeing things on a label that they can right. compare to, to other things. And for a long time, you know, we had that with Jim Beam Black. Right, and, and now, we always did. We always had age statements until this uh, demand curve, it just went off the roof. I mean, if we'd have kept the age statement on black, you wouldn't be able to find it because it would just been hard for us to keep aging to that, that period that long a time to do it worldwide. We went to a six-year-old overseas before we changed it here in the States. Right. And you know, it was uh, just to keep it on the shelf. And then it got to where we didn't do something worldwide. Uh, it's, just, it's just tough. I mean, the demand curve is crazy. And we haven't begun to hit some markets worldwide that are out there for us. And it's just crazy. I mean, if everybody you wants all, bourbon. If you all haven't hit them, you know, being, being the largest, then... Watch out, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You start looking at, say, a Knob Creek, you can't get Knob, you can get it anywhere in the United States. You get outside of the United States, or there's very few markets that you can get a bottle of Knob Creek. Now, you can go online and buy it from liquor stores and pay the tariff yeah. and pay the. I saw some bottles in Australia that I had signed in Chicago that were being presented as gifts. And I said, well, what'd you pay for that? 150 Australian dollars for a bottle of Knob Creek when it was 1999 in Chicago. So you heard it here, folks. Heard, he had heard it here first. You can buy, actually buy a bottle of uh, Basil Hayden, have these guys sign it, and then go to Australia and profit fourfold. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. yeah that's, absolute. That secondary oh. market is crazy. I mean, Freddie talked about the 101 month. Yeah. Pink yeah. black. Yep. You can find bottles where Italy. Italy and France, I believe, is the two I've gotten. We've gotten so, some bottles. We've bought bottles of our stuff that have gone all the way to Italy and France and come back at way more than what we yeah. sold far back. That's right. But after he tasted, I was yeah. actually presented a couple of bottles a few years ago up in northern Kentucky, and I let Freddie taste them. And we're going to try to match that taste again. Oh, nice. Because it's... Uh, so you're, you, are you planning... Um, we're working on it. A, another Beam a beam Black product that's that it, way? It could be Beam Purple. We don't care what the color is. Yeah. But the taste, Yeah. when you taste it, it's one of them things, Fred. Sometime when you're out of the house, I'll let you taste. Along yeah, with yeah. that 13-year-old corn whiskey, that's still over Yeah, there. you still owe me some <laughs> corn whiskey. From, <laughs> some but, I mean, it's, it is amazing. I'd forgotten how good it was, and I used to steal that from my father. You know, people, you, I know everybody in this room has stolen a bottle from you their parents. You didn't steal it, you borrowed it. Yeah, whatever, you I never paid it back. It afterward. If you don't pay it back, and it's stealing. But anyway, <laughs> and I always loved that stuff, and I'd kind of forgotten that taste. And then the people up in, this guy in Northern Kentucky gave me a, actually two bottles with a brass door knocker. It was a value-added pack that we sold years and years ago, back in the 70s. Now, what the significance of a brass door knocker was, I don't know. But the price tag was still on at 1995, right? When it yep. 1995 for two bottles of bourbon and a brass door knocker. And I said, shit, really? That's a hell of a vap, a brass door knocker. But the liquor is what I wanted. And I gave the guy a barrel head for his bar, and he gave me two bottles of 
Some good well, liquor. When I opened well, up and tasted it, I said, wow. Before we get to the next tasting, you all brought up uh, something very interesting, uh, the secondary market. Yep. Um, I've, I've interviewed some other master distillers recently that told me that they're looking at it. And they're using and some executives who are using uh, the secondary market as a way to price new products. No, nah, we don't do that. That's no, no, no. We don't look at how, that. How do you how do you how do you do that? And do you do you have people in the in the Facebook groups that kind of like assess pricing or anything like that? When we look at pricing. We just look at our our, our products. For example, where do you want to play? Right. Within the on the, the shelf, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you price, you know, you want to be in this segment, you have to have your price in that range, mm-hmm. and it's the perception is you know crazy sometimes because you look at what people pay for some products, and then you play here, and then when they you taste something that's real expensive, and you taste what we do for maybe a third of that, and you go, wow, we've kind of given our stuff away, but we kind of figure when we do a product. For example, Fred, Freddie's little book. I mean, it was a, it was something totally different, and it was very limited. And we, you know, that was a big discussion on yeah. where do you price it. It's his very first product. Should you price it real cheap and give it away just so you get his name out there, or do you put it where the value is, by where it should be, and let the chips fall where they may? Well, we said let's put it right here and see what happens, and it was. Huge success, you know, and because it was limited, and it is a very limited thing. We'll get to what it's about later, but that's the thing. That's the latest product that I know of that uh, we do. Because when you try to take a little price, you know, and bring price up to where it should be, then all of a sudden people start writing bad shit and saying you're stupid, and you know why was it, why you know your that your did executives. happen to you with the price increase for Booker's, right? Exactly. You, Called you, our executives idiots and. Everything else, but you know, we've been giving bookers away for years, and then we all of a sudden we try to take a little price on it, get it close to where it should be priced, and everybody threw a fit, you know. So, so I'll give it made I'll, us real, real gun shy on pricing I'll, products. I'll give the audience a little bit of a, a background on that. Like uh, bookers uh, for a long time was forty nine, forty nine, ninety nine, something yeah. like that, and then it came out that bookers would be one hundred dollars. All right, it was yep. uh, that you all would do. Yep, is basically doubling the price, and then you got the the backlash, and then you changed the pricing yeah. back. Backed it off to seventy five dollars. Yeah, so like, and then that was like a matter of three weeks, right? Like uh, three weeks. Long? I don't even know if it was that long. I don't think it lasted it wasn't three that days. Long. It didn't but, seem like. Yeah. When they called our executives <laughs> idiots, you know, they oh, we better do something. Then, so, you, then you do look like an idiot when you do that, I think. But you know, whatever. So in the and, and look, bourbon has gotten to the point where it's like the New England Patriots have conspiracy theories all around them, uh, sports, politics. Bourbon's at that point where it's gotten conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the grand conspiracy theories is that Beam did that on purpose to get rid of excess stock. No. We got, if we had excess <laughs> stock, we'd have kept it at $50. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. That was the thing, you know, the, the bookers, we lay down so much a year. And the demand curve on Booker's used to be pretty slow. I mean, Booker's is bottled uncut, unfiltered, straight from the barrel. And it takes a real bourbon lover to really appreciate it, and that's who usually buys it. And all of a sudden, used to, it was a pretty slow sale, and 
Dad could never figure out why Knob Creek went like this and Booker's was like this. He accused me of not trying to sell his bourbon when I went down the road. I said, Pop, it's not that. Yeah, it is. You're trying to sell the Knob Creek because that's what you drink. You don't, you don't drink that much Booker's. But I mean, once people now have gotten educated and they realize that you don't have to drink Booker's at barrel strength, add a little water, put it over the ice. Now all of a sudden the demand curve on Booker's is climbing and we don't, all of a sudden, you know, economics comes into play. I was in college for eight years. And <laughs> supply and demand, you know, that really does work. You know, you kind of figure out where the equilibrium price, see, I did learn some shit. You know, if you know. demand's here and supply's here, you know, you start looking at, I mean, and we got folks that well, look at I, You know, more. to add to that too, before Booker's was what, three, four batches a year? Right. And then, you know, during this whole pricing scenario, I was working in bottling. We were bottling six batches per year. So it's almost the exact opposite. You know, we increased our, our case volume and then then wanted to take price. And now we're, we're back down to four batches a year right. currently. So it's, it's, I, mean, I wish we could say, that's the thing about bourbon. You make it today and you sell it, you know, for Jim Beam White, four years from now. You know, Jim Beam Black, six to eight years from now. Booker's, six to nine years from now. Knob Creek. Nine years from now. I mean, I can't tell you what I did eight days ago. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be doing. I hope I'm still alive nine years from now. You know, we turn 61. Oh, yeah, don't you start, say that. Don't well, say I mean, yeah, but, yeah, you're, yeah, you, you got, got a long, long time. You got a yeah, long time. You never time. know. I walk and I get run over by one of those dump trucks that's all in that dirt. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. But I mean, that's the thing. You know, you're, you're looking at a crystal ball and you project, you know, what Freddie's making today in the distillery. You're thinking about what's this going, what's going to be hot. Six years from now, seven years from now, eight years from now. So it makes a, you never hit a forecast. I don't give a damn what it is. I mean, one thing you know, it's always gonna be wrong. I, w I wanna get uh, ever, the Basil Hayden in everyone's hand right now. You know, this is named after um, the gentleman who brought Catholic immigrants into Kentucky in the, in the late 1700s. And he now has two bourbons named after him in your portfolio. Yep. Basil Hayden. And old granddad. Correct. So, and this is, you, you talked about kind of like a starter bourbon earlier. Yep. This is one of the top starter bourbons that, I've, that I have found when I'm working with uh, new consumers. You know, when granddaddy created this small batch collection, he kind of hit every, every little spot along the way. You know, with, with Basil Hayden, like you're saying, it's a good starter of that collection. And then also... With, with Knob Creek, it, it's a, a lot bolder, it's, it's bigger in flavor, and then you have Baker's, and then of course, you get to, to Booker's, and that's when granddaddy told him only men drank Booker's back when he was drinking 100 proof Knob well, Creek. Well, he'd get run out of town now on that one. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I know Peggy knows Stevens, she drinks Booker's, yeah. my wife drinks Booker's, people, women love Booker's. Exactly. But you gotta remember, when dad released Booker's, at an event like this, you would watch the women slide their glasses to the male who brought them to the event. They weren't drinking it. You know, they would be giving it yeah. to whoever brought them. But now we have as many bachelorette parties come through the distillery as we do bachelor parties. The girls are drinking bourbon now. Are you, are you allowing strippers in these, uh, in these parties? <laughs> no, they come through on the, with the Oh, okay, all right. Well, I you know what I'm talking about? They come through. I'm thinking you get like a special. You know what the bourbon is. You know. Freddie's coming back there in a cop uniform. Yeah, no, yeah. not yet. No. It ain't got that tough. We ain't got to do that to draw people in. But maybe, no, you got, maybe you call in Kid Rock. He comes in and does something. 
he'd come in. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. He likes hanging out down here. It's good. He's a he's a good good supporter of the brands. So you you have so then you you t- you, you kind of mentioned that you all do observe some of the commentary on uh, on, on the social media and, and elsewhere. Oh yeah. Um, does that hurt when you see it? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes when you. You know, when you, you some of the pot shots people take at you, you know. It's kind some of, of them are funny. You know, to me, I, I look at it as a learning experience. You know, I'm always looking. He's on it all the time. I'm always on there looking at, at stuff that, that everybody writes. It's more of just uh, learning and, and how do we adjust or is there, is there things we can come up with from, from what people are saying. But then there's always the people that say, say you know, my, my favorite one was when Little Book came out. And I was reading on a on a review somebody had wrote, and then the comments underneath of it was, "I'm not buying that. They've already got enough money." <laughs> Those are my favorite because it's just funny to look at them and laugh. You know, you know when Little Book came out, there were all of these. Uh, there were a lot of reviews that were really really negative. Yeah, they, they were very bad. And then you started seeing the, um, I guess people who who review whiskey professionally start writing about it. And that's when I think you started seeing the swing. And, and by the way, I, my review did not come from one of your samples. It came from a store-bought product. Right. And I, I rated it, I think, a 91 for Whiskey Advocate. Uh, Mark Gillespie with Whiskey Cast rated it in the, uh, in the 90s as yeah. well. And so when you started, when you started seeing that, um, I, I think you could see like an I think appreciation. part of it too was people were we're kind of uneducated on, on what blended whiskey was or, or what the blended whiskey I was creating was. And it was just, mm-hmm. you know, people kind of basing their assumptions off of, of previous blended whiskey. I mean, I mean, I just wonder how many people actually tasted it before they, before they wrote those comments, you know? Well, again, with, with Beam and the social media circles, it, it ain't pretty. Yeah. It, it, ain't, it ain't pretty. Um, and that and that starts uh, from a few years ago when uh, Centauri came in and worked with you mm-hmm. or, or acquired you, um, and mm-hmm. it's now Beam Centauri. Correct. But that's when I started seeing kind of like a shift in you know Beam appreciation, if you will. Yep. But on on the personal level, you know, I you know Fred No is is one of the most underrated people I've ever seen in in Indian in Indian industry. And I've had this conversation with, with a lot of people in the business. What he did in the 90s and early 2000s to, to help open doors for, for bourbon goes completely unnoticed. So I when mean, you, I agree with you. I think he, he gives a lot of credit to Granddaddy yep. and, and the Small Batch Collection, but it was him you know, getting out there and, and selling it you know, after Granddaddy kind of slowed down. That, that In my opinion, I've never really said this to him either, but in my opinion, it was, it was him that really got out there and, and, and started to push those products. That's what, that's what we had to do. I mean, we all did it. You know, it was, uh, I guess I got my, my dad pushed me a little bit, but with Jimmy Russell, you know, Jimmy and me were on the road quite a bit together. And when dad passed away, Jimmy kind of became my other father. I called him my dad on the road. And we, we talked about that a lot. That, you know, we got to get out here and get, educate people on what bourbon's about. Because people were so ignorant outside of Kentucky. 
<laughs> we're, sm we're smart here. Oh, Mervin. Oh, Mervin. I mean, really, I mean, you get questions, you go, really? You know, I'd look at Jimmy sometimes. We'd be on panels like this together. First, it freaked people out that competitors would hang out like we did and do things like this on the road. And then when they saw we really were legitimate guys and not marketing people that like Bartles and James, we were really guys that made the whiskey. I mean, we, we knew the shit. We could answer the question as technical as you wanted to or as simple as you wanted to. And we were down there. If we'd answer any question, we'd sign bottles, we'd take pictures. We didn't care. And it was, it was just about educating consumers. And it kind of took a hold at the time. But it's, uh, you know, and the thing we were doing, we were setting up, you know, everybody in the industry. Because as everybody, all the ships rise with the rising tides. Can't just be just beam goes good. All bourbon's got to go good for everybody to go up with it when it's, it's working. So sure. that's the main thing. The main thing I want to do is set it up for the future. I mean, our family's been doing this since 1795. You know, old Jacob Beam started over in Washington County, making maybe a barrel a day if he was lucky. You know, now we're making, you know, a million barrels every two years. But it's just from sticking with it, you know, and pass it on from father to son, father to son. And Uncle Jerry, he came along. He didn't have any kids, so he had to look to the, his, his sister's family. And that's why the last name went from Beam to No, because, you know, Jerry Beam, who lived here in Louisville, didn't have any kids, but he picked his nephew, Booker, pulled him out of Springfield, got him over at the plant, and then that's when it's, it kicked off. You know, and I'm trying to set it up for Freddie. I'm sure he's going to do the same thing. You know, he's got one child and another one coming. That'll be the future, and that's the thing. You Do September 26, everybody. <laughs> Same day as, same day as Fred's wife. So, yeah, I do want to have a party on September 27th. Yeah, we're expecting on September 26th too. That's gonna be interesting. <laughs> Freddie and I might be drinking some bourbon. Especially if they're a boy and a girl. Yeah. <laughs> Man, put those two gene pools together. <laughs> it could be trouble. Fred and Fred. Are you trying to betroth our children? No, y'all. <laughs> shit. Huh? I'll just sit back and watch. Watch you two keep them apart. So, Freddie, when you when you see this playing out in the world we live in today, with social media, uh, whether it's Reddit or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and someone, you know, for, for lack of a better term, talks shit on you or, or your dad or your family, I mean, do you just want to, like, do you want to fire back? I used to. I don't anymore. That's why I stay away from it. My wife has grabbed my phone out of my hand a couple of times, I would say, and, and stopped me. But, you know, now, I, it look, to me, it's kind of like motivation. You know, I, Beam is the world's number one selling bourbon, and we have a very large portfolio. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, products like Little Book and Booker's and, and Knob Creek show that just because you're number one doesn't mean that, that, that what you do isn't a craft. You know, it, and that just motivates me to continue to come up with, with expressions that, that, that showcase that. Everybody's making bourbon. It's a craft, whether you got a, a little steel or a big steel. It's still the same deal. You got to get the mash bill right. You got to get everything right. It's got to come together just perfect. Or you don't have anything coming out the other end. It's worth a damn. Age it. You got to sit still, be patient. I mean, it's just uh, it's a craft no matter how how big your, your steel is or how big your, your business is. It's just part of it. I keep saying a lot of these craft guys, if their family sticks with it for eight generations and 225 years, then they may be as big as we are. Who knows? Wow. 
Jacob Beam was a craft distiller in 1795. He was, and he, and he got his capital from his wife. All right. That's right. Nothing uh, wrong with that. The family... That's a good deal if you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I'm not going to cry. I mean, I'm, I take so you, you, you encourage marrying up then. That's, Hell yeah. That's the important thing. Hell here. yeah. That's, that's smart. I ain't going to use Booker's old expression. He had some song that he used to sing, make the ugly woman your wife be happy the rest of your life. I'd say, is that what you did? He said, no, sir, I didn't do that, son. You trying to tell me to do that? No, I'm not telling you to do that. It's just no song. That when they was running around, Jane Todd in over Lebanon or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> I said, Dad, give me shit for all the stuff I did. And I've heard stories about him since he passed away. He was wilder than I ever thought about being. <laughs> since we're talking about Booker, let, let, let's hear about some of those wild stories. Oh, Dad, hell, he, he was an interesting fellow. I mean, people who knew him really well knew him. You just met him, you'd think he was just a big, cuddly teddy bear. But if he really knew you and liked you, he'd give you shit in a heartbeat. He was, I could set him off. I could look at him and tell if he was pissed off. But I saw it all my life, you know. I mean, I, I was the only child. So and it was my mother, my dad, and me. And when things came up at the supper table, I knew those two had already talked. And I learned real young, don't deny it. Lying, he beat my, beat my ass more for lying. Then if I did it, I was going to say, yes, sir, I did it. And then it got, as I got older, you don't mean it. When I say, yes, sir, what do you mean? He said, why don't you want to argue about this? I said, well, you ain't going to do me no good. You're going to win. So <laughs> why even argue? But that was just Booker. I mean, that's the way he was. And some of the stories on him when he was, he stood up for, you know, a little guy a lot. He got in a lot of fist fights over stuff he had friends and family that like to drink a lot and get drunk up and people want to whip their ass and he'd step in, no, no, you're not going to do that. You know, all these stories, they talked about him at the uh, fishing game club over New Haven. Some guy was being a total asshole and giving everybody shit and dad grabbed him in a headlock and said, somebody throw out a quarter, I'll pinch his fucking head off. <laughs> it's a lot of quarters hit the floor. <laughs> this is, you know, it's funny, you don't hear these stories when you're young and your father's kicking your ass for doing stupid shit. But after he dies, you know, I'll be, oh, I'll tell you a story on your dad. That's why you tell me this 10 years ago when he was giving me shit for being an asshole. But that's... <laughs> Great dancer. Great dancer. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Margaret. Dad, all the women loved to dance as Booker. He was pretty, he was pretty fleet on his feet. That's probably why mom married him. I don't know. She said that. That's what she used to tell me. Now, Freddie, she always told take me care I, of mom when he, she got up in age, yeah. She nah. always said, I married your grandfather for his dancing. <laughs> That's what she always said. It wasn't because he was a nice dude. <laughs> <laughs> now, Freddie, you spent a lot of time with your, your grandpa fishing yeah, and such. Yeah. Tell, tell us, uh, give us, give us a story about what it was like growing up with Booker Noah's oh, grandpa. For him? Yeah. He had it made in the shade. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it... it when I was younger, I didn't really think of it this way, but you know, now that I'm older and just kind of reflect on our times together, he always tried to turn everything into a lesson. And about 90% of the time, he didn't, he'd get pissed off at me, but he definitely didn't show it the way he did to everybody else. But he would always try to show me a lesson, and, it, and if I didn't get it or didn't care, he would, he'd get mad, but not, and I didn't really understand why he was getting mad, but now looking back, I do. I remember. Uh, for one of my birthdays, it was probably about a month and a half before my birthday, 
he had gotten this old Jim Beam truck that, I don't know, that old truck that's in the house. Oh, it was a decanter. Yeah, a decanter. No, it wasn't a de- it's not a decanter. The blue one? No, it's the black one. That's, okay. Okay. Old Jim Beam, it's right. like a 1930s truck. It's painted up with Jim Beam, and it's got, looks like cases in the back. Right. And uh, Somebody he, sent it to him. Yeah, yeah. right. And he laid it down on the floor, and he made, uh, laid a three $100 bills beside it. And he goes, your birthday's coming up. If I let you pick which one of these you want, which one do you want? And I thought he was going to give it to me then, and then even if he wasn't, I probably still would have done it. I said, well, I've been wanting a new video game. I'm going to take the $300. God damn it. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> he get mad. <laughs> he gets so mad. <laughs> he thought he knew him real good. I mean, every time I get on Freddie, we live next door. <laughs> See, I lived in one house, and Mom and Dad lived next door in the Jim Beam's house. And when I'd get on him about something he did, you know, they should have been on him about, he'd scamper around the fence and go over to Granddaddy. I'd get a phone call. <laughs> I think, what are you bothering that boy for? He's a good boy. <laughs> I said, I ain't doing nothing you didn't do to me. Wait a minute now. I might not have done everything just right raising you. That boy don't need to be. I talked about sending him. I went to military school. You know, back in the 70s, knuckleheads got threatened with military school. They sent my ass to military school. <laughs> so I talked about sending him. Oh, shit. You would have thought I was going to just, I was the meanest asshole in the world. I can't <laughs> believe you want to send that boy off to military school. God damn, boy, what are you going to do? I said, you did it to me. Well, I might not do anything that's right sending you away. <laughs> I, I put the pamphlet out on the counter for him to see it. He went over next door, I'm sure, and granddad said, he ain't going to send you a military school. Don't worry about it. But that was just, it's amazing how a hard-ass father turns into a soft grandfather. That reigns true still today. Correct. He's got a little nine-year-old daughter. I think he'd run out in the middle of the street if she said, Papa, can we go out and play in the middle of 3rd Street? Hell yeah. They'd be standing out there in the middle of the damn street. If Miss Braley wants to go out there and play in 3rd Street, we'd go out in 3rd Street. Don't you worry about that. I'll take care of Miss Braley. If she needs anything, she just come see Papa. Papa can make shit happen. She hadn't hadn't fully figured it out yet, so once she does. Once she does, it's going to be bad news. His wallet will probably be in big trouble. (laughs) So he's wrapped around her finger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, little girl. Coloring. Battleship, right around Christmas time. I think they played Battleship about three times a day. I played with her all night if you wanted to. <laughs> well, the same way with him. I mean, he book her anything he wanted to do. It was in. I mean, it didn't matter. He there's put a basketball of, goal in the garage for him. There's uh, there's some nice videos of uh, of you and your grandfather on YouTube going fishing, oh, yeah. and doing some cool stuff. You had long, golden, I know it. I know it. Craig, hair was, back Craig was making fun of me earlier. He's like, we need to dye your hair back like it was when you were younger. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> it looked like a golden. It was, white. It was almost white. Yeah, it, was it was really blonde. White. It was really blonde, curly. Well, next up, we have uh, Knob Creek. And just this is, this is one of my personal, you know, go-tos at home. Uh, a few years ago, it won... Um, World's uh, best uh, bourbon at San Francisco World Spirits Competition, where I'm a judge, and it. And when we learned that it was Knob Creek, we were all, you know, because because it, it beat Pappy, it beat all the Buffalo Trace products and everything. Our jaws just just kind of dropped. We were all kind of shocked. Uh, this it's a blind competition, so we don't know what we're tasting. So, like, it, do you know was that like a special bottle, or was this a do you, do you recollect was that a normal bottle? 
If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. And when we learned that it was Knob Creek, we were all, you know, because it'd be Pappy, it'd be all the Buffalo Trace products and everything. Our jaws just kind of dropped. We were all kind of shocked. Uh, this, it's a blind competition, so we don't know what we're tasting. So, like, it, do you know, was that like a special bottle, or was this a, do you, do you recollect, was that a normal bottle that it's they just sent? bottle, right, pulled off the, right out of the case. We send them, we don't load a deck or anything, because you never know, it's a blind deal, so, you know, you just send out. Literally, the local sales team pulls something from a distributor and gives it to them. It's not wow. like, oh, we got this competition coming up, send this. Do something out of the ordinary because it's not fair then. But we, we just sent it out there, and whatever happens, happens, you know. And hopefully it does well. And this used to have a, a nine-year-old age statement. Correct. It no longer has an age statement. That's correct. Uh, this is Knob Creek Rye. What's that? This is Knob Creek Rye. Is this the rye? Is this the bourbon? This is the rye. It's the rye. Yep. Same well on, on our Knob Creek. Same deal as black. The demand curve, it was growing. We were banking on... Oh, yeah. 15%. It's definitely rye after tasting 15% it. 15% <laughs> growth. I was wondering. I can't, I can't see the. It. I can't see from here. So. But why? We need to pull your glass away. I need new glasses. Uh, too many of best cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but yeah, same thing on Knob Creek, on the bourbon. The age statement came off to keep it on the shelf. Now, rye, let's talk about rye for a second. You guys used to just distill rye like one day a year and then like once a month. Now right. it's, there's so much demand for rye, you're, you're having to. About How twice, much? twice a month we do every other, every other Thursday. That's fantastic. Now, in the, the, the Booker's rye was, you know, hugely popular, critically acclaimed and all that. And we don't know what it is because, you know, there's not, there's not any more of it. You know, that's it's like gone, and there, and there was not like a, a repeat of that production. Not well, it's not a repeat of that production back in those days. Yeah, 
That was an experiment of dads, you know. Did you did you know what the experiment was? Oh yeah. You so you, talk to him. If you want to remake it? So you're going to you're, are you all remaking Booker's Rye? We're not remaking Booker's Rye. Might be Freddy's Rye. That's going. Oh, so are you going to make a Freddy's Rye? <laughs> Can't be Booker's if Booker ain't here. You no, know, we do a lot of we we did three experimental mash bills last year, on pace for four this year. Uh, so we're always tinkering, and and I did have that recipe from Granddaddy. I'm not going to say we. Haven't tried it, or have? What What are the age on the stocks that you have for for this? Um, You're always fishing, drive? Fred. For for what? He's for a, you fish? He, he is a fisherman. I know he. he <laughs> y'all don't think he is, but we had a fishing. Will, yeah. We had our fishing outing <laughs> down at the plant a couple years ago at Bourbon Fair. You know, we we had a spot for everybody to fish, but our our good friend Mr. Minnick, he takes off and goes to the other side of the lake. Comes back with the biggest bass, you know, and our biggest whole sack full of fish. And I said, God damn, you are a fisherman, aren't you? I thought he was bullshitting me when he said he was a fisherman, you know. He earned it, though. He had thistle cuts all oh, over yeah. his legs. <laughs> he was sweating his ass off. We had a nice spot all mowed <laughs> off. And, you know, cocktails being served. And Fred goes to the other side of the lake. The shittiest spot you go. He came back with the most biggest fish. So, yeah, know, it was good. great. I think it was a... Four or five pounder. Yeah, so I think it was five pounds. We were laughing. We were laughing when he saw him walking to all the saw briars and all that shit. I thought you guys were going to leave me. We almost had given the yeah. award away. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It looks yeah, like but, Fred's got a pretty big fish coming <laughs> right, up here. Yeah, we, we had a deal where he got, got the biggest fish, got a, an award. Now, I'm not going to let you distract me from the fact that I had my target set on this ride that uh, <laughs> Fred has got. You're not going to get, <laughs> get shit out of him. <laughs> He's tired lip. You got me in trouble last year, Fred. Now, you volunteered Little Book last year. I know, year. I know. You volunteered it. That's why he doesn't tell me any information on Little Book anymore. <laughs> he only event, gets the last taste. year, I let the cat out of the bag that Freddie was releasing his first product and gave him gave the name Little Book. And our, my, our good friend got it out there. And I don't know. I think it was somebody in the crowd. Somebody wrote it on Reddit, actually. That's where it come out. Well, well I, that's how I found out that it, he didn't tell me that. It Somebody, came out. It came out in here. I don't, did, know, yeah. I don't know where it. One happened. of our supervisors' boyfriend's brothers sent a screenshot to the supervisor in the distillery, and she was like, "What happened? What's this?" And I was like, "How the hell did you find that?" Because no, I mean, <laughs> we kept it pretty. There was a lot of people in the company, even that when, whenever the 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 release came out, or you know, the the statement that we were releasing it came out, they were like. How the hell do y'all keep this so secretive? And I'm like, that's, that's my style. Didn't tell my dad. I want you to say that. <laughs> that's why he's now on the, I'm on on the, the little book tasting panel. Oh, I let him, come I let on him, now. You, I let you him taste, but he doesn't get, from, uh, the I get to know the components. You don't get to know the components. Get no shit. That's wow. giving the proof, and that's it. Proof in a glass. That's they all he does. Don't trust me anymore, Fred. Say whatever. That's hard. You got me, it's your fault. I got me. Yeah, you I pulled will. it out of me. He's a fisherman. Hooked me. Well, it's exciting to hear you're 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 playing with some rise. What else are you experimenting with? Can't let that out yet. All right. Well, I'm not going to give up. It never uh, gives I will, up. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a teaser. We're using different grains. Well, you've had some releases in the past, like Tritocal and and rice and 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 various. A couple of them aren't even in that. Okay. So by different grains, like are we thinking buckwheat, different types of rise? You got is your it like nibble. 
different uh, you got your nibble. malted. <laughs> you got your nibble. <laughs> will, will they be different brands? Will they be different brands or will they? We had no a- clue at all on that. We just wanted to distill some experimental stuff and it's in the warehouse. We tasted some last week. Okay. Right. Yep. Did they taste different than other bourbons? Some of them aren't bourbons. Okay, so we got some kind of clarification yeah. there. See? <laughs> You're not well, going to get much playing, deeper than that. We're playing around with a lot of stuff. I mean, it's... Now, in, in, in Little Book, um, you know, I... And we'll taste that here in a second. But one of the things you had in there was a really well-aged corn whiskey. That's correct. And you could just taste that. It was gorgeous. Um, what... Why don't we appreciate corn whiskey more? Because it's like, no matter where it's made, I love the flavor profile of corn whiskey. It seems like we have bastardized the category that could really be celebrated. That's a good question. Mm, I don't know. Maybe, I think corn, corn people who look at corn whiskey think it was maybe cheap. Because you look at what a lot of corn whiskey was aged, what, 90 days, 60 days, yeah. 120 days, and sold clear. And it was relatively inexpensive. I don't know. I mean, good corn whiskey, I think it's tasty. I and mean, when you get the age on it, it can be good. And you added 13 years on, right, on 13 your corn years. whiskey. So, I mean, you just have that sitting around in the warehouse? You know, it's funny. Right. I was actually in a meeting today. So we, we have updated our operating system from that time frame where that corn whiskey kind of slipped through. People didn't really believe me. But honestly, that corn whiskey kind of just slipped through our system and the way we operated. So we operated was, by a ledger and done by hand. Yeah. I mean, and the, the warehouse superintendent physically kept track of our barrels until, what, five years ago, six years ago? Four, four years ago. Well, no, 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 yeah, six years ago, yeah. When, they, when Ronnie Land retired, he had a big ledger, and he knew where every barrel of every product was by hand. It was not on a computer. We were this pretty was five archaic. years ago. Five years, five or six years ago. Wow, I think it was a little. It might have been. So we got a. We got now even that from that point. Thing. The first computer system we had. It was. You terrible. could still manipulate it, it and, it and do what you wanted and and hide it. But now, there's no hiding. So I've actually been working on some stuff on my computer of ideas that I need to go on and submit to block some of this liquid off because if we don't, it will get get dumped and get, get utilized. Get in the rotation? <laughs> yep. Now, with kind of like a, an old-fashioned system like that, is it, do barrels ever get stolen or anything like that? Does that ever happen? Uh, Not so much stolen, but they will get lost. Someone might come out with low recovery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it won't get stolen. I mean, on the ledger, if something, you know, they take out 20 barrels and there was 23 barrels, those three might get kind of, and all of a sudden they go, what about these three barrels that have been here for umpteen years? Almost like that one bar- that sample you had, it was, what, 154, 154 proof? proof? yeah. So, you know, this is, this is a... People think that, you know, sometimes that is a marketing story. Yeah, that's going to go there. You know, I like, knew where you were going to go. Yeah. I've been around you enough. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, you know, these stories about lost barrels and shit. When you've got 73 warehouses that have up to <clears throat> 50,000 barrels in each, there's a chance that a few might kind of fall in the crack. It's not because we want it to. It just happens if you don't harvest the entire rick and they put some more barrels in, in that empty spot because warehouse spots are like gold now. Oh, yeah, they are. 
I mean, we're what, 90% full? Right at it, right, about 89. We, so you think about it, 90% of your capacity is there. You've got barrels to put away. You're looking for a hole. And, oh, there's a rick. Put them in there. Well, you don't realize there's three barrels at the back that have been there for five, six years, say. Then all of a sudden, when you harvest it, you find, God damn, what about these three? Where'd they come from? You find these secret barrels that are so sweet and taste so great. It does happen. It really does. I mean, the guys that work in the warehouse, they know where the good liquor is. That's right. You can bet your ass they're drinking the best shit in the warehouse. <laughs> You'll never taste it in, in public. I mean, it's just nature of the beast. You wonder why guys want to work in the warehouse. When I first went to work at Beam 34 years ago, all the old timers wore bib overalls and they carried what they called a mule, which I didn't know. I was green in a gourd. It was a plastic tube about this long. And all them old men, I wonder, why would they work out here in these warehouses in the hot summer and the cold ass winters when it's terrible? But they could get in there and they find them honey barrels or sweet barrels or the best barrel, whatever you want to call it. They take our pocket knife, all of them carried pocket, pop out that bung, drop in that tube, and just suck out a drink. And you could walk in a warehouse. Dad showed me years ago how he could find the honey barrel. Now, them barrels aging, they get mold and rust on them. Well, most of them old boys had big fat bellies, kind of like me. They would lean over that barrel to get a drink. When you lean over it, you knock off the rust and the mold. <laughs> and you can look down through that whole rick of barrels, and there's rusty, moldy, rusty, moldy. And all of a sudden, there's one that's nice and clean. And Dad said, that's the honey barrel. What are you talking about? And boys been drinking out of it. Look at it. And I mean, you're laughing, but it, it's a fact. I mean, that was the nature of the beast. That's science, 30 actually. 30 years ago. Yeah. And boys, if you're in there working with them aging barrels, are you going to drink something that's a year old, or are you going to drink something that's seven or eight years old? And those guys, when I first, I probably shouldn't say this, tell this story. But yeah, this, I, is, this is completely off the record. Well, you know, when I, my training, they would just send me to the warehouse or wherever they needed somebody. My godfather and uncle, my mom's brother, was the warehouse superintendent, Jimmy Wickham. And when I first went up there, he said, here's what you got to do. When you take the crew, we drive our crews to the warehouse and tell them what they got to get out. He said, don't follow them in the warehouse. I said, what? He threw me the sports page to the Courier Journal. Read the sports page before you go up in the warehouse. I said, Why? He said, if you follow them into the warehouse and they can't go get a drink, they will not get any work done this morning. <laughs> Leave them alone. Yes, sir. And sure enough, them old guys, if you didn't let them get up in there and get them a little taste, they start, start shaking a little bit. <laughs> I mean, there was reasons. They didn't steal whiskey. They drank it. It wasn't like they were filling up their thermos bottles. They carried it out in their bellies. They didn't carry it out in a... They were drinking that shit all day long, and they worked like well, dogs. It's quality control. Yeah, that'd be, yeah that's I mean, good, they're just making sure the, the barrels are, good, no yeah. doubt they would tell Booker or whoever, like, you know, the whiskey's off today. We need to. Nah, that was just a perk <laughs> of being in the warehouse. The that's thing that would piss my father off more than anything in the world was we'd walk through when I was a kid. I was a little dude. We'd go down to the distillery on the weekends. Nobody's there on Sundays. We'd be walking through, and Dad would look around, just checking temperatures of fermenters, and he'd see a bottle, you know, snuggled by somewhere where somebody had been drinking on the job. The thing that would piss him off the most 
was if it was a competitor's brand. Oh. He said, God damn, they're biting a hand that feeds them. Why in the hell ain't they drinking Beam or drinking Very Old Barton or Yellowstone or whatever, J.W. Dant, whatever. I didn't know. I was just a little kid. I said, I didn't understand what he was talking about. But it's kind of funny. You're working at a distillery and you're buying somebody else's whiskey and bringing it to work to drink at work. That's kind of... But that's the, that's the mantra of the business, support one another. That's good. You that's know, good. I mean, they're just trying I'm sure to help. Booker would look at you kind of funny, Fred, and say, you are full of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll go and say it for him because he's looking down and I call him out, Fred. Call him he out. He raised his eyebrow at you, Right. Too. And so here, <laughs> no, I mean, there was enough liquor around there. I mean, you got thousands of barrels and whiskey coming off the steel all day and all night, but why would you... I never, Buy somebody else's I never had the privilege of, of meeting Booker. Uh, he passed away in 2004 um, when I was in Iraq. So I, I never, and that was before I got in the business. But, um, you know, when I, when I tasted Little Book, everybody please grab your Little Book. When I tasted Little Book, my first thought was, not only is dad proud, grandpa's proud. Oh, no doubt. This is good whiskey. He did good. I mean, I'm proud of him. I mean, this... I'll let him tell the story about what little book he is. I mean, and like Chuck Cowder, he's a great friend, and we've we've had a few issues that we've me and him have worked out. Chuck's a big he reviews a lot of whiskeys, and when he said that, you know, probably the big, biggest thing to come out of bourbon country is not a bourbon, I accused him of sending him a country ham for Christmas. <laughs> I still think he sent him something. And I never seen Chuck be that complimentary of anybody, but <laughs> No, it is. And we were all. Most of the professional reviewers were really complimentary of this. Oh yeah. yeah, but Chuck saying that about Fred, I give him shit because I think he greased him up with something. Uh, you doing that? Uh, now, if that's true, you got You got to divulge it right here. No, that's what Did I'm you saying. Up is, Chuck <laughs> you say that, but if I gave it to Chuck, I'd have to give some to Fred, Tony. What? Oh, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of guys I'd have to give some. No, hand I would to. never. Fred wants the 13 year old corn. That's uh, true. All, that all, is. I, all I want <laughs> is that all the these whiskey, whiskey writers they want something. You know, they want something. You get in my notebook, you'll find a page: whiskey writers and what I owe each one of them. All I wanted was the wanted this deconstructed. I wanted to taste the, the various samples by themselves, see how you came to that conclusion. Yeah. So just tell us what's in this. So what's in little book is, as Fred hinted to earlier. A 13-year-old corn whiskey. Um, and that was kind of where I started. At Bean, we use corn, rye, and malted barley in our Jim Beam mash bill. And I uh, just had this thought. I don't even remember where I first thought it, but instead of using the grains, what if you used corn whiskey, rye whiskey, and malt whiskey and blended them together to that uh, mash bill? And if they were four years old, you know, how close would it taste to Jim Beam? or even bourbon, you know, I just kind of wondered that. And so it kind of, that's what kind of sparked my thought in it. And I had actually done that as an experiment when I was in our innovation center. Wasn't very good. Uh, Dad can attest to that, it wasn't very good at all. But I kind of just let that idea go and we, were, we sit in these ideation meetings which drive me and him both crazy. But we were sitting in one one day and I just that thought come back up in my head and I said, you know, I worked on this at four years old. I'd like to go back to this and just, just work on blending a whiskey with these components and not have, you know, just the four year statement. And so I don't know if they were just telling me that to shut me up and give me something to do because they knew how terrible that was. I'd, they probably thought I'd still be working on this blend today. 
Uh, but they said, go for it. And that's kind of how Little Book was born. And so what it is, is like I said, a 13-year-old corn whiskey, a six-year-old high rye rye whiskey, and also a six-year-old 100% distiller's malt, malted barley whiskey. And then finished off with four-year uncut Jim Beam. So Little Book is uncut, unfiltered, uh, just like Booker's. And that's kind of where I got, obviously, I got the nickname from Dad said when I was this big. I don't know that I was ever that small, but. <laughs> um, you know, you were. He called me Little Book from the time I was born, basically. Right. I was going to say, first time he fitting, held you, you were Little Book. Kind of fitting that I named it after him. And then, you know, listening to him talk about why he created Booker's the way he created Booker's and that he wanted to deliver uh, Booker's the way whiskey used to be and the way it was meant to be in his eyes. And what he meant by that was, you used to bring your bottle or quart or jar or jug or hell, plastic, whatever, to the distillery and would fill it up with your whiskey and take it home. And that was barrel strength. You know, we never cut it. We didn't have bottles of Jim Beam white label. It was just Jim Beam whiskey that was, was unaged. And he liked that because it let the consumer drink it at, at, at full strength, or if you wanted to add some water or ice or, or however. And, you know, and then listening to Dad, uh, I know he probably didn't think I listened to him too much when I was a teenager and, and going into college, but he always told everyone to drink Jim Beam any damn way you want to. If you want to add Coke, great. Ice, want to make a cocktail. So I thought, you know, when I started blending on this, it, it all kind of evolved and w was great. They, I didn't really have a set proof I was working on, I just wanted to do some blending. And so it turned out that by releasing it at barrel strength, it kind of is like the essence of what dad says, drink it any damn way you want. If you want to drink it like we're drinking it here, neat, that's great. I'm sure you've got glasses of water, you want to pour some water in it. It really changes the liquid. Uh, if you want to add a couple cubes of ice, or I've had quite a few cocktails as I've been out kind of promoting Little Book that are pretty damn good. So. It's literally the essence of drink it any damn way you want. You know, I, I created it to share with, with friends and, and, and for you guys to share with friends and consumers to share. That's what it's about. So it is, and how about from that, just cheers. How about that? Cheers. I do, I do encourage people to add water. Uh, the proof is up there. It's 128.4, uh, I believe, 128.2. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but you don't, you don't, uh, you you don't necessarily taste that proof. Right, right. Um, that's well, what's funny is you know, I got, I you know, I, anything I work on, I let Dad taste. Uh, my wife, I, I I let her taste anything I work on. She's my biggest fan and critic, so I like to let her taste it as well. <laughs> uh, and I got a buddy who who pretty educated on bourbon. I. Gave him a bottle of it. He stopped by the house. I said, you know, whenever you, next time you have a drink, uh, you know, try this. I want, I want your opinion on it. And he called me about an hour and a half later, and he goes, it's kind of hot. I said, hot? I said, it's 128 proof, Hunter. Oh, well, that changes the game. I thought it was 85. I was like, yeah. uh, I guess he was reading on the label. I had 85 on there somewhere, and he thought that was the proof. And he goes, that's pretty smooth for 128. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it changes, it changes it a little bit when you know the proof. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sure. Uh, we've kind of come to the end of, of my questions. I do, I do have one last question, and then I'm going to open it up to the audience. Fred, you've, you've seen Freddie come into his own. What's, 
one piece of advice you have for him going into the future? Oh, to keep doing what he's doing and be yourself. I mean, don't, don't you know, start thinking that you're, you know, keep making products that you're proud to give to your friends and family. And, you know, listen to the consumer. It's about, that's 99% of it and be straight up. But Booker told me, be yourself and don't let people, I say people like marketing and folks in our corporate headquarters, you know, they try to tell you what you should say, what you shouldn't say. Be it's yourself. funny, you know, to add on that, they give us scripts for everything, not, not tonight, but typically if we're talking, uh, I mean, it's pre, uh, you know, a predetermined talk, we get these scripts and I, I, I'm, about 99% sure he's probably never looked at him, but I definitely know that when it's both of us together, he usually looks at me and is like, fuck it, let's just wing it. And that's what we do because you start reading through it and you're like, my God, I would never say half this shit. Well, they so, hand us scripts Monday. Well, yeah, that's the best. Yeah. For our 15 millionth barrel fill, <clears throat> we get to the, <clears throat> the event. It's a windy day. There's no podium. And it's a handheld microphone. I've got multiple pages. He's got multiple pages. What are you going to do with it? Hold it for him to read, and he's going to hold mine. And we're so looking I looked at Freddie right before he walked on stage. I said, fuck it, wing it. <laughs> we put our scripts on there and put it down with a bottle of White Dog that we finished filling the barrel up with. I just got up there and talked. And everybody that we talked to said, well, y'all did great. I don't know. I mean, all we can do is get up and know what you're talking about. State the facts and let it go. I mean, it's not. Well, I, I think there's a little bit of. Science. I think there's a little bit of concern with liability with you, with the amount that you cuss. <laughs> you know, I mean, even tonight. Really, uh, really Fred. The, the shit counter was pretty high. You know, I mean, <laughs> you yeah. always call me potty mouth, so, you yeah. know. If I don't cuss, you all say, oh, what happened? Yeah, I mean, say he's one sick cuss if word. He's not cussing. I, that is true. I do say that. But yeah, he gives I, me so I, much I shit for cussing, then when I don't, well, why didn't you? <laughs> I, thought, okay. I kid, I kid, but no. Uh, it, well, I mean, no, it's he's a I'm there, me. There's I'm, no script that could ever, ever yeah. match what you do. I'm not good with scripts at all because uh, I know and, what I'm going to say. I'm gonna and say we did it. not give you a script tonight. Booker for sure. taught me to be yourself. And you know, when they hand you this stuff, you start reading it. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sound anything like what I would say. And like I looked at Freddie's and it was so, so many typos. If he read that, people would think, that he was mentally challenged. <laughs> and, and, duh. I said, God damn, that didn't make any sense at all. I said, you know, the speechwriter needs to read, read the speech one time. And, <laughs> and you know, look, you guys. So. They, know, they know we're not going to look at it. That's the thing. They <laughs> so know it ain't no big deal. It was funny when I first started kind of talking, and I think I'd actually done a video for some internal promotional stuff, and um, my wife was there with me, and, so they handed me a script, and it was about as thick as what me and him were trying to read together on the first one. I'm like, this is crazy. And she was like, do you know your script? And I was like, I never really looked at it. And she was just like, she just got, I could just see her, her nervousness just growing. And I got up there, and I, I talked in front of a camera for about 30 minutes, just answering questions and rambling. And I got off, and I was like, how'd I do? And she goes, did pretty good. I thought you didn't look at this script, and I was like, I didn't. You know, I just once like what he said. If you know what you're talking about, you know these 
these products are, are my legacy, you know, my, my family. This, I know about our products and I know about my family history. So getting up and talking about it is, it's just like, yeah, that was part I mean, of the, the deal. Monday. Thing. Tell me what Jacob Beam did. Tell me what Jim Beam did. Tell me what my dad did. I said, really? You're going to rewrite me telling what Jacob <laughs> Beam did over Washington County? What Jim Beam did after Prohibition in Claremont? You know, and Freddie, all he had was, he was talking about the employees, which he worked with them. We had 15 of our oldest union employees. And those 15 guys, there was no women, right? It was all guys? It was all guys, yeah, it was all guys. Because, you know, back to the day, their average years of tenure at Beam were 33 years. The oldest one was, it was 495 years, yep. those 15 guys. He's worked with them. I worked with them. I mean, so... All you got to do is recognize them. It's not like you got to have somebody tell you these. And it was XX on the script. Like they didn't know how many years they'd been there or how many it was or anything about it. I was like, God, it's, throw that script away. But anyway. Well, I have a feeling that that uh, speechwriter's probably gone now. And no, I he's had, still around. They ain't going to let him go. He's been around too long. I, I had uh, I had no idea I'd be tapping into a vein here. Oh, uh, we don't. That, uh, but, we uh, don't do scripts very well. This is just a prompt for us so they don't <laughs> hand us scripts anymore. This is a This is, this a is your opportunity yeah, to this tell. this is our opportunity to talk about how we there. don't need It's so scripts. bad. Our national sales meeting every year in Las Vegas, they got teleprompters and all that stuff, you know, and you get up on stage from a thousand people. Everybody's got a script. And when I get up there, it just says, Fred speaks. <laughs> I swear to God, that's all. And then when our CEO gets up there, it says, Matt speaks. I think we're the only two people he said, go with yeah. it. And when Freddie did it last year, he didn't, you know, you know how to. They had a picture. Is, that yeah. was what was funny. When I got up there, he got up there and introduced me. And I stand, you know, I got up there and everybody was cheering. You know, it was my first time at our sales meeting. And so I'm kind of walking around talking. It was a square stage, so I was talking. People all around you. You're like in the. As I walk around on the teleprompter, there's pictures of me and him right there. I'm like, all right. What am I supposed <laughs> to say? <laughs> Good thing I'd, I know what I'm talking about or I'd, I'd be screwed. Well, there's a picture of me and Dad sitting at the distillery. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's just, they've figured it out. The scripts don't work well for free. All right, well, we do have a couple minutes for questions. I do not recommend talk, asking about speeches. Uh, Fred, over here. The funniest thing, Fred, you Fred, and Bo Cephas. Okay, question number one. <coughs> Does Bobby still do anything with you guys? And question number two, the funniest thing, Fred, you and Bo Cephas ever did together? Hmm. I'll answer the first one while you think about that. <laughs> we don't officially do anything with, with Kid Rock anymore. Uh, but I think we got a hunting trip maybe coming up soon, possibly. I mean, and we hang every time he plays in Louisville, we we hang out. So nothing officially, but he's definitely still part of the family. He still drinks Jim Beam and on he, stage yeah. every night. And uh, when he got done in Louisville, they, Bob wants to see you guys. So, okay, we went backstage and hung out for a little bit, and it was kind of crazy. Nothing terrible. The funniest thing me and Hank did, it was in uh, Cookville, Tennessee. He, he, was, he was opening it up for Charlie Daniels. And Hank was, he was not drunk. 
He was in good shape. He was playing a hell of a show, and he ran over in time. And they turned the house lights on at this big arena at, uh, uh, what is it? I can't remember what college. It's college campus down in Cookville. I think it's Tennessee, Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech, yeah. He turned on the house lights like this. He kept on playing. He said, you paid your money. I came here to play. I was standing on the side of the stage. He looked over at me and said, I think we're going to take us to the parking lot, Fred. I said, why in the hell did you pick me? And <laughs> finally, they cut the sound off. I mean, you don't do that to Hank. He did go to the Holiday Inn in Cookville, Tennessee, and we, we pretty much got his instruments, and they played in the parking lot at the Holiday Inn in Cookville, Tennessee years ago. That was the funniest thing I ever saw. I said, damn, he wow. really, I mean, it was kind of crazy, though. He was a, Hank's a hell of a dude. I mean, he's a, it's kind of funny watching over the years, you know, Dad and Hank were big buddies. Me and Kid Rock have been, become pretty good friends in Montgomery Gentry. And one time Bobby said, I wonder who Freddie's going to pull into the music industry. I said, I don't know. He's still out there. Ain't no telling. He hasn't he showed his hand yet, so who knows? So it looks like we have a question right over here. I have a couple of questions. There's a pretty little girl now that does a little uh, Jim Beam Black commercial on TV. I was curious what you all thought about her. And secondly, have you all ever done a survey of all the employees of Jim Beam and figured out what the best bourbon is? Ooh. Our, the first question, uh, Mila, she is, uh, she's been a great partner. She came to Kentucky and wanted to learn about bourbon. Uh, she does drink the stuff. It, it surprised me. She was nervous to work with me because she uh, she cussed too much. She said, and my wife my wife assured her, "You're good." And she said, "No, you don't understand. This is before we ever met." She said, "I say fuck a lot." <laughs> and my wife still told her, "You're still good." <laughs> so Sandy told me this before we ever met because they wanted our first meeting to be on camera. So after my wife told me this, after we did our first little intro and I welcomed her to the Beam family and welcome to Kentucky and all this, and he said, cut, perfect. I got her here and I said, fuck it. She said, we're gonna get along just fine, big boy. <laughs> and me and Mila have been partners ever since. It's been, uh, she's great. I mean, she, she really does drink the stuff. It's, most times you, you get people like that, you give them a little, write them a check, they talk about Jim Beam or talk about whatever, but they don't drink it. But she really does enjoy the stuff. And you guys have a Mila Kunis uh, bourbon coming out in the next. All right, it's coming. She's got a barrel. Her barrel you saw in the, the commercial. Mila and myself are going to work together to finish that barrel with some different wood. She wanted me to be involved with her because she said, Fred's the expert. I want to be with him. So, what, what kind of wood are you finishing it in? Don't know. We're going to look at uh, several <laughs> things with our partners from Independence Day, and I'm going to take some stuff to California, and me and her, and nice. I'm sure her husband. At the time, it was her boyfriend. She kept saying, AK, AK, AK. And I said, who the hell's AK? She said, don't you know my boyfriend? I said, Mila, I just met you. How would I know your boyfriend? <laughs> I didn't know Ashton Kutcher was AK. <laughs> you know, and and when I met him, he's a hell of a nice dude. He loves whiskey. And like, he was in the back of the room at one event, and I saw him back there in a baseball cap pulled down. I said, Mila, there's somebody back there I need to go talk to. 
Oh, yeah, you need to go talk to AK. So I went back there, me and him became buddies instantaneously. He loves whiskey. I mean, anybody loves whiskey, I can get along with him real quick. He asked me some real inquisitive questions. I mean, they're really into drinking and drinking whiskey. That's What's good. funny about that, too, is when Mila came to Kentucky, my daughter was probably five, I don't know how old she was, four or five, maybe five. six. Maybe. And uh, she had no idea who Mila was. But we were having dinner in the backyard, uh, kind of like we always do when we have groups over. Bradley was hanging out with me and my wife and, and grandma and dad and Mila were filming. And after they got done, they come out and she recognized her from a Disney movie. I guess she's in Maleficent, I think it is. She plays in Maleficent. She ran right up over to her and Mila picked her up and they were like best friends the rest of the night. They just hung out together. So my wife was like, she, she, can, she can hang around at Bradley. I mean... That was back when Braley didn't really even. She was halfway scared of him still. Right, yeah. Me, because she'd hear me and him off and She went right straight to Mila, boom. It was like. It was really weird. So Mila kind of fit in the family right from the start. That's awesome. And for your second question, that's a very good question. But you know what I'm going to do tomorrow morning is I'm going to send an email to our plant manager and have that question sent out to all of our employees. Because I don't think we've ever no, really never, talked about that. So Never have asked them what the favorite one they we got to keep the guys out of the warehouse out of that survey. Yeah. <laughs> Just say barrel strength, Jim B. <laughs> at eight, nine years old or something, you know. But That's a good question, though. That's, I'll have you to follow up. Engagement yeah, survey. we need to put that in our engagement survey. We'll have to follow up on we that. We do that stuff. It's kind of crazy. We do these engagement surveys and ask them all these questions. It's, been, it's kind of crazy. We have a lot of fun with it, though. Employees, they, they'll tell me and Freddie what's on their minds real quick. Might not tell the bosses, but they'll tell us. <laughs> Stop you in the grocery. God damn, our boss sucks. He's a son of a bitch. Why don't you run that summit on? No. I'm out. I got a question back here. So there's, um, you know, a lot of talk of Freddie having Little Book come out. We got Freddie's Rye coming out. So we can whoa, see whoa, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Rumored, rumored. Uh, let the <laughs> hold on now. He didn't say Freddie's right. He said Freddie's right. He said it could be <laughs> Freddie's right. Could be because Booker's not around. You know, you can't hardly. But he's Frederick Booker now, the fourth, so he could call it Booker's if he wanted to. Well, I guess Fred, how are you going to cement your legacy here? What are you going to have a, a new bourbon that's going to be christened after you? What, what's what's the idea behind there? <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. We, we we laid some stuff down in November. We did an experimental deal. We'll see. Oh, experimental deal. Oh, well, what was the experiment? We did some things differently than what we normally do. Oh. <laughs> Is that what you call an experiment? Yeah. Like what? Like what? Well. Like we put it in a barrel and we made some white whiskey that Freddie and his team at the distillery did that I asked them to do the way that I asked them and they did it that way and We'll see. I mean, it might be something that gets blended off in Kessler's blend. Oh, don't say that. It might. You never don't know. I mean, it's only it's only your legacy is far better than Kessler's. Five months. Well, but I mean, what we tried to make we it's kind of the name of the project is Fred's legacy. Okay. But it might not be might not be what I want to be my legacy. And the the thing you know, is. If it the Fred's, out like shit, the Fred's I, Legacy project is open-ended, too. That was just one kind of, well, I guess that was one experiment along Fred's Legacy project. So 
Well, you did have your you you were on a label, uh, kind of like a a Booker's label, like uh, or Fred's Fred No Select, the Fred No Select. uh, Sometimes Fred, that's one that that was all because of money. When you're in a you're in Japan, and a guy says he'll give four times the price of a bottle of Booker's to have his own label, and the salesman kicks you under the table, you don't say no. Four times now. That's Pretty nice price increase. Because he wanted his... He wanted to have his own batch of bookers. But we did cut it a little bit, and we called it Fred No Select instead of bookers. Because uh-huh. it wasn't truly bookers. So it was, you know, one of them deals, it was all about the money. It wasn't about... Only happened one time. You know, you're exactly right. It's all about profit, you know. Wow. Sales guys want to sell, and if I can help them, I do, you know, so... Four times though, that was pretty mad. I was I was going no no no. After I got kicked the third time, I said, "Well, we'll talk about it." And he got it through our corporate headquarters, and they said, "Let's do it." So I said, "Fuck, I don't care," you know. But we did cut it. Those bottles pop up on the secondary market every now and then. Really? Yeah, they do pretty really well. Um, I think I've seen them for two hundred. Really? Damn. Yeah. I wish I had some hat. I might like to. That's why I see this stuff pop up and they tell me what stuff brings. Oh, it's we crazy. We have one more question. Do we have time for any more questions? One more after this? Okay, right okay. here. Uh, the gentleman with the microphone. Okay. Yes, sir. Are there stories being passed around in the family about during um, the Prohibition years and the Great Depression? It's during Prohibition. Jim Beam sold the business. Our distillery used to actually be up in Bardstown. And he knew there was going to be some illegal activity going on. He didn't want to go to jail, so he sold the distillery. And actually, back in the old days, all your distilleries had farms attached to them that when we distill, we have a byproduct called stillage or slop that today we actually dry and sell to the feed mills. Back in the old days, they had a feed lot hooked to your distillery and you would get rid of the excess slop with feeding cows or pigs or whatever. Jim Beam sold the farm and threw in the distillery just to get away from it. And he didn't, uh, he didn't do anything because he didn't want to go to jail. Uh, and that was kind of our deal during Prohibition. But, you know, they, got a, they, they bought a quarry plant, and, right. which is the... He, well, uh, he tried his hand at citrus farming in Florida. He got skinned pretty good at that. That's what Aunt Mimi, his daughter, who I live with, uh, she never had any kids. And when she got up in age, needed somebody to stay with her. So I moved in with Aunt Mimi next door. Uh, and she talked about those days that, you know, Jim Beam was in Kentucky. The Citrus Farm was in Florida. He visited every now and then. They skinned him pretty good, pretty clean. Uh, he came home, tried his hand at coal mining in eastern Kentucky. They don't take the flatlanders going up in eastern Kentucky and digging coal too much. They skinned him pretty good, too. So he actually landed on the limestone rock quarry in Bullock County. Sunbeam Quarry is how he fed the family during Prohibition. And then when Prohibition was repealed, he opened up that Murphy Barber distillery that was on the property that he used for digging limestone rock. And that's how we got back into business. As far as depression... Booker was born, what, December 7th, 29. They always called him Hard Times. They got through it, but it wasn't real good. That was his nickname. 
Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you said something about employees in the know partaking of the good bottles, or excuse me, barrels of bourbon. Uh, I was going to ask simply what uh, of the quote-unquote angels share do you think is actually the employees uh, enjoying the products they're putting out there? Great question. Great I question. would say today it's a lot less than it was 30 years ago. Uh, barrel quality got better. Barrel quality got better. <laughs> I really, if you look at the employees today, and Freddie can, if I'm speaking out of school, you tell me, I don't think the guys today drink like they used to with all the, you know, drinking and driving stuff. I don't think they drink near the quantity. I mean, those guys, back when I first went to work there, they drank massive quantities of whiskey. I mean, it was amazing. Some of the guys, I can remember them. They were, a lot of them were friends of my father's that we hunted and fished with when I was a kid. And I'd watch well, Bill Roby, which Freddie grew up. Hogwash. He remembered Hogwash was his nickname. <laughs> he could take a, a pint of whiskey and knock, I mean, 100 proof bottled in bond old tub and knock it halfway down in one drink and never grimace or, I mean, he worked in a warehouse. He worked there his entire career. I know why he did. He loved drinking whiskey. I mean, those guys, that was just part of it. I mean, guys that started working in the 50s, they drank a lot. I think a lot of it, too, is today, when we pull barrels, we're pulling barrels literally from 7 o'clock to the time they walk out the door. And a lot of times, if you fuck off or mess around, that, that causes you to work overtime. And most people are trying to get home to their family. So I think a lot of it has changed, just the, the culture change and, and the demand for bourbon has really changed too. We're working them is, harder today than they did yeah. back in the day. You know, back years ago, those guys got it done, but it, the demand wasn't there like it is now. Our boys, they worked their, they worked their asses off moving them barrels. Every day. We got a thousand barrel at Claremont, we got a in the warehouse, they've got a thousand barrel club, which is like an extremely high mark to hit for dumping of barrels or filling of barrels in a day. And if you look on the list, we still keep the old ones on there, but if you look, there's more in the last five years than over the, the course of the club, which started back in the eighties. So it's just all about you know how much whiskey we're moving. We're just we're moving a lot of whiskey around on a daily basis. Goes back to that ninety percent capacity uh, deal too. You know if if you're at ninety percent capacity, you're trying to get as much whiskey out of them warehouses as you can because if you slow down on dumping barrels, I'm going to be calling the warehouse saying, or they're going to be calling in there telling me to slow down, and I'm going to say, what the hell is going on? Why do you want us to slow these stills down? And then the boys got to work on Saturdays. They don't like working don't on Saturday. Like no one likes working. They like Saturdays. working Monday to Friday. <laughs> and they'll work a little overtime. You know, we usually quit at 3 30, 4 o'clock. But when you start talking about coming in on Saturday morning, this is a So we have, we have come um, to the close of, of the Legend Series, or for, the, for this one. But I want to end the night with a toast to Shit. the nose. To Fred and Freddie. 
Not a whiskey. Grab what you have left. I got Beth's cocktail. That's what. Oh. I know that. I know that you all are out there selling the Beam name, but none of it ever comes off as marketing or not you. And that's what I love about you two personally. And so please don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose that genuine, beautiful discussion of who you are. Cheers. Thanks, Fred. Cheers, Fred. Cheers.